Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Hark, hark, what light through yonder window shines? No, it's the voice, not of Juliet, but of Corey Cantrell. The good old AP is back from the scram. Oh, here's the, the applause. <laughs> Which, I didn't know what the scram was. It's like the scram a Oh, I just always thought scram was what you told somebody when you wanted them to scram. <laughs> like, hey, scram. <laughs> didn't realize that was something you could be out on. Uh, yeah, you were out on the scram. <laughs> yeah. And the system was on the fritz. Yep, saw that too. (laughs) Well, at least half of our problems are resolved. Yes. What a great day to have uh, the AP back in the studio, back behind the microphone and the controls, and leaving me free over here to just free up brain space to pick on you. You know, it's the gift that keeps on giving, my presence being here. Yep. I get to alleviate some concern from you and also provide an outlet for for your release. And an inlet. Uh, Okay. But, you know, not only are we excited about being here and both of us being back for radio, but as we do this right now, we are currently awaiting the arrival of our friends, missionary Charlie Russell and Pastor Matthew Jones. And today is going to be a day of some deep dive planning Mm -hmm. for our upcoming Way of Holiness conference. And, you know, not plugging that per se, but I guess we are. But, I mean, it's, it's internal to the folks of our church. So the reason I bring it up, though, one, I mean, excited about the day. It's going to be great. But also, as we were just talking about before we started the, the program today, the Way of Holiness Conference fits so well with what we're studying here in Second Peter, what I've began while you were gone in our break from Galatians. But it all just connects so, so much. And, and the reason I mentioned these things is because this is what the people of God need. Mm-hmm. I even had the teen Sunday school class at church this this Sunday. We were in Second um, Timothy chapter 3, in the latter part of that, where Paul says to Timothy, you know, the evil seducers are going to wax worse and worse. And he says, but you, you stay true to what you've learned, remember who you learned it from, and, and hold fast. And I was telling them, you know, this is that encouragement, that exhortation, to really have the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're going to be focusing in on today is how to grow in this deeper knowledge of God. And it's going to require some thought. It's going to require thinking and meditating and applying ourselves. But we'll get to that in a moment. As you have come back, we want to hear how was your week away in Utah on the mission trip? It was fantastic. It was. I really feel that it was an um, impactful trip for the group of 13 from our church that went Um, I think we were able to accomplish one of the main missions, which was to be an encouragement both to the Calvary Baptist Church of Farmington, Utah, and the Moore family, who were the missionaries that we went out to to support. So overall, I think it was a very, very, very great week. 3,630 doors were how many that our team covered um, throughout the course of that week. Um, But but even the amount of doors is, is obviously very impressive, but we it was just a a good good fellowship building team camaraderie week. Um, I think it would have been just as possible for us to cover the same amount of ground, but to do it with friction and tension and just you know this 
bullheaded, hey, let's go, 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 move, 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 just cover as much ground as you can, but there really not be any cooperation in it. I think I can honestly say um, the the unity that the team carried throughout the mission made the amount of doors that we covered that much more special because there were a lot of opportunities for us to just do the work and tolerate one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Lord really moved in and helped to to preserve that, and that's something that we brought back home that I'm that I'm very excited about. Well, you're making me think of uh, I was listening to a podcast while you were gone. And one of the men w- was talking about how when you're when they were learning to ride dirt bikes, that most people that are new to it and don't have a lot of skill just ride hard and fast. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you do it. And he said people that have the skill don't ride as hard and fast because they have the skill to ride smoothly and with control. And it's more efficient and it's more... You know, it's it's a it's just a better way to mm-hmm. ride. I don't understand all that because I'm not a dirt bike dirt bike rider. But you're talking about how we could have got the same amount of done by pushing, driving, and so forth. But it wouldn't have been as effective for your soul. Right. It wouldn't have been as effective for the team's camaraderie. And I think about you know sometimes when when we work out and we are hitting or kicking the heavy bag. When I heard that, and I was thinking about you know that's that's why I kick a heavy bag so hard. It's because I don't have skill. And it made me think about that. Like, hmm. you know, you, you you go for speed and power to make up for what you lack in skill. And you watch, like, people that are really good, like boxers or martial artists. Man, you watch them do stuff. Like, if they're training. I mean, right. I know in a fight it's kind of crazy. But if they're training, they look so, like, man, how do they do that? Well, it's because they got skill. Yeah, it's like when you say, hey, we're going to punch at 40% right here. And I'm like, what? I'm I'm zero or a hundred. There, like, it's it's either yeah. like a light tap or it's all I've got. I I don't understand forty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent. I, but I don't have the skill. Right, and that skill is developed over time. And and when you all went out on this mission trip, you had both the experience that some of the senior members of the team brought, but mm-hmm. also Pastor Moore's experience. Yes, out there. But what you were doing, the reason we bring this up, not only just you know our church folks listening, it's good to hear another word about it, but for those listeners from other churches, you know, we want to encourage you here. One of our goals, you know, you're not part of our church, we're not your pastor, but to pastors in other churches, we would just recommend to you, hey, if you haven't gone on mission trips like this, it is good for your church, it's good for your soul, it's good for the people that uh, that participate in it, and you get to be a blessing, and it's. It's point number five of our renovation year focus, intentionally pursue kingdom yes. living. And one thing that I, I've i never done this before coming to McLeansville, if I was to give another plug for the purpose of a mission trip, we don't really have the stereotypical independent Baptist mission trip, which is where we take our teenagers from our church and a couple of adults go as chaperones, and it's really a youth trip. Mm-hmm. We open it up to people of all ages. Um we had some folks in their 50s and 60s that went with us. Um, we had mid-30s, early 20s. We actually only had one official teenager that went on the trip. Everybody, Did you make that teenager official, or they were already officiated before they went? Well, he was already <laughs> he was already official. You are now officially a teenager. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, like, it, I think we might have had a couple of 19-year-olds, but, I mean, who are in their second year of college. Like, in, in most churches, they wouldn't have been in the— quote-unquote youth group. They mm-hmm. were already out of that and had been a couple of years into the college and career age is is kind of the way that we did it. So to take 
kind of a, a wide variety of age brackets, I feel that the church as a whole is impacted um, more completely. I think maybe it'd be a good way to say it. It crosses the generations yes. and everything. Like, don't get me wrong. If your church takes your teenagers on a mission trip, well, that's wonderful. They're, they're going to get help from it. It's a great experience. But if you're able to encourage some of your adults and things like that, well, there is tremendous value in taking the full gambit of, of ages on the mission trip because it's not like going out west or going to another country or something that's only going to impact young people. We as adults grow tremendously as well, and we I think we do a good job trying to emphasize teamwork and camaraderie in our youth department, but then for some reason we don't emphasize it anymore with our adults. Did you say teamwork in the carotid artery? No, I thought I said teamwork and camaraderie. I don't know. There's no telling. But we, we focus on that with young people, but then it's like we just assume that it's a bygone conclusion. That, well, of course adults are working together. When the reality is there's very little cohesion that comes naturally even to adults. It needs to be built and, and, and encouraged as well. And so there's value in that. And even if the mission trip is less than stellar, Okay, because we've had that experience. I think this was before you, you you got here to the church, but when we went out to New Mexico several years ago to do some work on the Navajo reservation, it was our first time doing mm-hmm. that. Uh, what I remember about that, to the point you're making, is the the age spread that we had. Mm-hmm. We had teenagers all the way up to men and women in their maybe their seventies, right? Yeah. And yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I'm, I'm now I'm remembering all the older men and ladies that were with us. Yeah. It was a very uh, diverse group, and everybody had a part in that. And the thing about it is that mission trip stands out to everybody that went as probably one of the most disappointing in in certain aspects. Mm-hmm. But as far as the team that went had a fantastic time, enjoyed each other's company, and really pulled together to overcome some of the less impressive parts of what we found ourselves working with. And so, again, it just proves that point. It's very good for the team building of your church. and, and, uh, And so, wonderful. We hope that's an encouragement to you as we go along. Well, we're going to be turning our attention to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to dive right into that this morning. So, yesterday, before you got back, I was beginning to introduce the, uh, the the middle of or the first part of verse number five of second Peter chapter one. Peter says here and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and what I've been what I've been teaching on in the last I guess three radio broadcasts has been how I am to become the man that I am made to be in Christ. So whether it's the men or ladies that are listening right now in Christ we are made to become somebody other than what we were, but the emphasis is on become. That's what God impressed my heart with. That is active. That is something that I must put forth effort into. And so as we come to Second Peter chapter 1, he really lays this out for us into being the sort of men or women that God would intend us to be. And if you haven't heard the previous broadcast, uh, this will be a good time to plug that we turn these into podcast episodes. So you can go to Daybreak Devotions podcast, and you can listen to the ones leading up, and I won't take the time to review everything, but in this chapter, you will see Peter lays out the kind of men and women that we are to be in Christ, but then what I've prefaced or put, kind of set all this on is three guiding thoughts that define the process. I will repeat those quickly. 
And that is number one, that my renovation, that is the becoming part, my renovation is a journey to godliness in the kingdom. So that's the goal that we have before us. We are on a journey to become godly people in the kingdom of God. But now the requirements for that, for that to happen in my life, I have to have the knowledge of God through the precious promises, and that's what Peter talks about in verse 3 and 4 of this chapter. I cannot do it without that guide in my life. And so the Lord provides that aspect. But there's one more thing for this to happen, and that's my responsibility. My responsibility is to pursue growth diligently by adding to my faith. And that's how I'm going to see the gains in this journey and this process of becoming. So we have the renovation that's before us. We have the requirements that God has provided, but the responsibility now comes to us. How are we to go about this? And so Peter says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Now, we've already discussed that one. Faith is the foundation of it, uh, and that's where it starts. God gives us faith, all right? Faith is a gift from God. Now I have faith. I am in Jesus. This is wonderful. I am a Christian. I'm a child of God. But that's not sufficient. Now, it's sufficient to get to heaven, right? It's sufficient to have your sins forgiven. Mm-hmm. And one thing we are trying to sort of push our folks out of around here is to stop being satisfied with that. Yeah. That's not the kind of contentment that we're looking for. No, we're <laughs> looking for, man, I wish I could remember it now. I just was, uh, I was looking at a magazine on Bruce Lee in the store the other day while I was waiting on uh, the family on another aisle, and I saw this Bruce Lee magazine. And I said, oh, I'm going to look at that. And it had one page that just had like some Bruce Lee quotes in it. But he had this great quote. And it was to this effect, he said, be happy, but never satisfied. It was something like that, and I might be mm-hmm. misrepresenting it, but his point was, yeah, be glad for where you are in life, and, and to put it into spiritual terms, be thankful that you're saved, but do not be content with the faith, like yes. just simple, basic faith. But sometimes that's all people hear emphasized. Yeah. I, I hear you talk, and it's it's one of those things like in my mind it's going off. Yeah, but what about godliness with contentment is great gain? And, again, it comes back to where we, we muddy the waters of where to be content in this world and not looking to acquire and achieve and, and gain in this world. But we're never content in our knowledge and relationship with God because that is an eternally deep well that he offers to us to explore. So... We should constantly have this desire to dig deeper into that and understand the fickleness of the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm content with that. What I've got there is fine. Well, the capacity of our heart enlarges as God enlarges our mm-hmm. heart. And as the heart is enlarged, there's more room to receive more of the knowledge of God. But to, the, to that verse of godliness with contentment is great gain, I, Peter, Peter doesn't get the godliness in this adding thing <laughs> until verse 7. Yeah. So there's a lot to work on to get to godliness. Sure as we are making the application. But just a quick review of add to your faith virtue. Virtue is the word erite, and we kind of summarized all that by saying that that is excellence. Add to your faith excellence so that you don't just have basic faith, but you want to have an excellent faith, a faith that excels, a faith that is spoken of through the world kind of faith, Romans 1.8, a faith 
that like Abraham's faith believes God for the impossible, a faith that stands not in the wisdom and ways of men, but in the power of God, 1 Corinthians 2.5, a faith that holds the line and does not retreat in hardship, uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13, a faith that's been tried and examined in the crucible of doing life in Jesus' name and finding faith to be without fail, Galatians 2.20, where we've been studying. That's the kind of faith you want to have, mm-hmm. not just simply, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. No, excellent faith. Peter says, don't rest in that. You want to add to that faith virtue. Now, I spoke to how we add the virtue, but we'll get back to some of that when we talk about knowledge. So the next thing Peter says is, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. So now we're adding something to the excellent faith. If we kind of hold them all together, I got faith, now I got excellent faith, now I'm adding knowledge to that excellence, so what do I have? I think the question we have to start with, the most obvious, is what is knowledge? And it is in the text here, the word that's used is the most common Greek word in the New Testament for knowledge. Do you say it gnosis? I always want to say gnosis, or is it just gnosis? I think it's... The C is silent, or the G is silent. Either way, people are like, it don't matter, what's the point? Yeah. But it actually, it just means to actually know something. Yeah. Not a flippant, yeah, I, I know about that. No, it means you actually know about that. And right away, we have to see the challenge that is put before us here. We are adding to our faith. And so we have now uh, an excellent faith that rises above being simple babes in Christ to being a valorous believer who can act with spiritual chivalry because, you know, virtue, the erite means manliness, and explained all that last time. But to that excellent faith, we now are adding what I would call absolute knowledge. Not just flippant, yeah, I know about that. Hey, do you know that you're saved? Yeah, I know I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Yeah. That's not knowledge. You're not, you're not familiar with anything about how you got saved, right? I mean, is yeah. it fair to say that? I think so. It almost sounds like what you're talking about is the difference in, like, knowledge of facts and oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And is is it the is the word ex- experiential knowledge? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like I know this because I've experienced it. It's I put it into practice. You're not going to shake me on this. You know, there are a lot of facts that I know that somebody can shake me on because you know I was taught them. But I, yeah, if you were to ask me, yeah, I know that. But I, it's very hard to shake me on what I have experienced myself. Ah, that didn't happen. But yeah, it did. What I do you was mean there. It didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, of course it happened. And I know this is how this works because I've done it before. And that's the absolute knowledge that we are to add on to in in our faith. I mean, to to know that God is real, not because well, yeah, of course He's real, but to know Him because I've experienced Him, I felt Him, I've communed with Him, I am in Him completely day by day, is an unshakable kind of knowledge. Well, Webster defines knowledge as a clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact. And I take that to mean I do not believe what I cannot see. Hmm. Now, just think about that a moment. I actually believe what I am very clearly seeing. Mm-hmm. Now, this, is, uh, this shakes up a lot of the cliche stuff we're taught. You know, faith is stepping out into the dark and just trusting God. Well, no, that's foolishness. That's not faith. Faith is never stepping into the dark. Faith is always taking the next step on what God has shown you to be true. And that only comes from knowledge. 
You know, we didn't respond to Jesus with a, well, I'm not sure if Jesus is actually real or not, but I want this thing. So, yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm going to just, yeah, I'm going to believe on you. That's not saving faith, right? right? And and I know that there's all kinds of different ways people might interpret that. Or, but the fact of the matter is, as we understand biblical knowledge, it is about when, when faith to virtue to knowledge is talked about, it is talking about believing what we can clearly see. It's what we understand, at least to a degree. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that we understand everything. That would be foolish. But knowledge is, biblically speaking, into the analogy of furnishing the house, which is kind of the analogy I gave of maybe on Friday's broadcast, but if we're furnishing a house or furnishing a room, I think of this kind of knowledge as, the, as substance being added. And maybe I think about the words depth or thickness. Mm-hmm. So we've got this excellent faith, but now to that excellence, kind of put some knowledge in there. Proverbs 24, verse 3 through 5 says, Through, through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established, and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. That, that, that means it's kind of like if you brought your wife into your room and said, Hey, honey. Help me decorate, yeah. right? She's going to add some some stuff to your room. You've got this great, excellent room, and she's going to put some some uh, precious and pleasant riches in there. Uh, this may be a more crude example, but this is what I was thinking about in terms of another analogy. But I was thinking about a bodybuilder, and if a bodybuilder is kind of weird, you just think about like a boxer. And I think you could even use maybe uh, this boxer and, and sprinter would be good biblical analogies. But here's what I was thinking about. These, these guys, when they are training, in the process of building their body, they're going to add to that, that skill set virtue, right? That's the finesse. That is the quality of excellence. Maybe in terms of we think like cutting weight, like a boxer needs to cut weight or a bodybuilder wants to you know, get real defined in his muscle tone or whatever. But they also want to add bulk, right? You want to be, you want to have size. You know, you think about the difference between marathon runners and sprinters. Mm-hmm. Marathon runners, pretty small. Like they're they're cutting, they're just shedding every weight they can shed. That has its biblical analogy. But a sprinter will have like they, they're bulked up. Those guys are big. Like mm-hmm. they might not be professional wrestler big, but they got big muscles, right? Because they need power. And I think of adding knowledge to our faith as adding some some thickness to your faith, adding some power to your faith. You can now talk about what you believe with some substance. And this is something that every believer needs to grow in to become what we are made to be in Jesus. We need knowledge. And this is definitely something that, that takes time, and it's why it, it's not an instantaneous process. I mean, to use the analogy even that you've used of athletes and bodybuilders and stuff, that they start off, okay, I'm going to do this. And they might be in pretty decent shape, healthy, but they're not where they're going to be. And they go through the process of adding all of that, and it bulks them up, it strengthens them. And it's, it's the same in the Christian life. We start with our faith, and that's great, and that's wonderful. And then we go through the process of our life by equipping ourselves with virtue and pursuing this life with God, that our life with God actually builds on us the substance of knowledge. And whereas before we stood on we stood on principle, we stood on, you know, conviction, 
Now we're taking our principled conviction and we are standing with the strength of our knowledge of and in God. It's not just, here's what I believe and I'm convinced that I believe it, yes. but it's, here's what I believe and I'm convinced I believe it because of these reasons. Correct. And I, it's my understanding that God has given me through the pursuit of this knowledge. It's an odd thing, but modern Christianity seems to have adopted this underlying stance that we do not need to know, we just simply need to believe. But is it not fair to ask, how can I believe without actually knowing? That's a fair question. So this process of becoming the man I am to be in Christ is kind of flowing here. I came to faith in Christ by the revelation of God, and this faith becomes virtuous and leads me to pursue a growing knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. And because I can't say it better uh, by any stretch of the imagination, let me quote again the sharp-thinking mind of Dallas Willard, who says that belief is the readiness to act as if what you believe is true. You believe something when your whole being is ready to act as if something is so. Faith, then, is opposed to sight, not knowledge. Faith extends beyond knowledge on the basis of knowledge. I'm going to read that last two sentences again. Very important. Faith is opposed to sight, not knowledge. Faith extends beyond knowledge on the basis of knowledge. So then he goes on to define what is knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to represent, that is to think about, talk about, and deal with a corresponding subject matter as it is on an appropriate basis of thought and experience. It includes good authority. To know Christ is to be an interactive, to be in an interactive relationship with him. As is often true when I'm reading a quote like that, I know it, with it's not in front of you, it's hard to follow. It's very wordy. But, boy, there is some powerful stuff in there that challenges us that knowledge, if I say I know, then that means I'm saying I have the ability to represent this subject matter as it is with appropriate basis of thought and experience. Otherwise, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I was listening to uh, Francis Chan. Did you finish the uh, I, I, the you know the interview that I recommended? I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Well, I was listening to him. I'm still finishing it myself because it's a long one. But he was talking about how he was in seminary years and years and years ago, and he said, we always had, he said, I'll never forget, I had this teacher, and he was an older man, and he said he would just shake his head and just hold his head and say, oh, you think you know, but you don't know. Oh, you think you know, but you don't know. And he, would, he said, I would think, what is it that he thinks we know that we don't know, you know? But he said he was so right. There's so much you don't know. And I mentioned this in Church Sunday. One of the first things we come to as we dive into the knowledge of God is the awareness of how much we don't know. Yeah. And often that we thought we did know. Well, I know we're about out of time. Let me close out the discussion on knowledge. There's a whole lot more that we could say. But let me just close it out by saying... Here's the next question. How do we go about getting or adding knowledge to our excellent faith? Listener, I'm going to go really quick with the things that I wrote down because of time's sake. But number one, we need to say it again, giving all diligence. That's the key that Peter first offers us, that we must give serious effort. So as it is with virtue, it is with knowledge and the rest of them. So it starts there. i got to be willing to put forth the effort. Secondly, I think we must determine that we will be God-centered people. Not people who try to fit God into our perspective or our worldview and our responses, but people who find their worldview and choose their response out of their knowledge of God. And don't extend beyond that. Stay with what you know and then live in that mm -hmm. and, and let it grow. 
Number three, if we're going to add knowledge, we must be thinking Christians. Think. We've got to think about what we say we believe. We've got to think about what we hear. To think about life and about people and about what happens to me is to search out what must be true or false based on the given facts and assumptions. Now, to be thinkers is hard work, and it made me uh, remember and, and reflect on our, my times in the Army because staff hated this, like just about everybody. I'm sure there were some weirdos out there. But anytime there was a mission coming up, we would have to go through the military decision-making process. You've heard me mention that before. Man, it was painful. Thinking is hard work, and the Bible makes no you know, pretension about that. And, and God says we're going to have to become thinking people if we're going to add to our faith knowledge. And then I would just say the final thing. We've, we've, we need to make calculated decisions thinking God's thoughts after him, okay, and acting on knowledge toward the goal of Christ's likeness. So what I mean by that is what does God say about something? Now, I'm not going to choose my way. I'm going to, by calculated choice, think God's thoughts after him. God's word says this. Jesus says this. Jesus says that I am to pray for and bless my enemies. So I'm going to now think Jesus' thoughts after him. Mm-hmm. Now, you already see this is hard work because we're warring against our own carnal nature, our own habits we've built in life, but nobody said this would be easy, right. but it is how we become the man God has made us to be. We can call that reason, uh, and to reason theologically with God-centered souls is what we're to do. So add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. That's it. And we'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.